Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The arts and STEM fields, science, technology, engineering, and math, share a necessity for undertaking imaginative inquiry on what we perceive as truth and beauty. So many attempts to integrate art and science simply involve creating art at the end of a scientific breakthrough. With artsy STEM, we're emerging the disciplines at the very inception of the process. That's USU Assistant Professor of Art Mark Likoven, who, along with USU Ecology Center Director Nancy Huntley, is spearheading the Art System Project at Utah State University. We'll explain more of what the Art System is as we go along. And we bring in uh, today uh, Mark Likoven, who is also giving a presentation Salty Metaphors, the land art of the Great Salt Lake. That's part of the USU College of Sciences Science and Rap series, and that's happening tomorrow evening. Uh, Mark Likoven, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Appreciate you joining us. And we're also joined by Mark Dion, who is a visiting artist in this uh, series. Thanks for joining us. It's great to be here. Thank you. So let me uh, let me start with, we have two Marks. I'll have to differentiate here. Uh, <laughs> Mark Likoven, you've... Uh, you essentially made your career on this, this integration of art and, and science. What uh, what drew you into this? Uh, probably uh, digging in dirt when I was a little kid. Um, I always was curious about the, the things that were in it, so to speak, uh, both the visible and the invisible. And um, years later, uh, as I probably have become a frustrated scientist rather than, uh, you know, in the art, art world, I have always wondered um, if there could be sort of a joining of those two things within my own uh, research and, and investigative processes. So about 15, 18 years ago, my work started to shift towards uh, not just integrating uh, art and science, but also trying to utilize art as a scientific um, endeavor or test or tool, uh, multiple uses. Uh, so I always thought that art had, um, other than the aesthetic and the metaphoric capability, how could those, uh, what I consider to be very unique components in the arts, be utilized uh, in an entire investigation at the inception as well as all the way through to the end. And so that's really been my my push over the last more and more. I think it's been a stronger influence in my work over the last 12 to 15 years to now where that's that's where my work is. Um, everything from utilizing bacteria and microbes all the way to using wind technology in my work. I want to follow up with that. Uh, I want to hear about the microbes and the wind technology. We turn to Mark Dion. This has been a strong strain in your work as well, right? This, this science and, and art. Oh, absolutely. And, and I agree with Mark that, um, you know, part of that passion is born quite early. You know, as, as a, even as a child, I was very engaged and fascinated by, uh, by nature. And that, that became a kind of focus of my interest. And there really were, there were two roads for me. You know, there was the science road and the art road. And, and the art road is the one... I took largely because I think that that also gave me a certain kind of flexibility um, and uh, to a uh, flexibility to be a, um, a very productive uh, amateur naturalist and artist, uh, a kind of professional dilettante in a way, and someone who uh, who can maintain a kind of interest in everything. Let's hear a, an example uh, of, of this integration of, uh, of science and art. This is uh, artist uh, Andrew Poli, who Mark Likoven you brought in as a part of this uh, artsy STEM project, uh, and our Jennifer Pemberton uh, did a, a piece when she was when the artist was here. Uh, so let's hear this. 
On a cold and clear night in Logan, there's a low-hanging crescent moon. Venus is shining bright above the horizon, and on the side of the Kane Performance Hall on the main campus of Utah State University, there's an animated waterfall of light. This is Particle Falls, a large-scale work of public art created by Andrea Poli. Poli was invited to display Particle Falls as part of Art System, a semester-long initiative to integrate art and design with the STEM subjects, science, technology, engineering, and math. I talked to Andrea Poli about Particle Falls and the role of art in helping communities understand air pollution. Particle Falls is a large-scale computer-generated waterfall If it's a beautiful clear day and there's no particulate pollution in the air, you see this beautiful pristine blue waterfall. But if particulate pollution is detected, you might see little red or orange dots over the waterfall. And as the more particulate pollution is detected, that waterfall turns into something like a fireball. When people walk by and they see the installation, what what should their experience be or what 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 is being communicated well i think i want people to at first be sort of surprised and intrigued uh, almost like there's a spectacle that they're seeing and they're wondering about and then i'd like them to understand that what they're seeing is the real time particulate pollution if if they see pollution or if they don't see pollution they might breathe easier uh, or if they do see a lot of pollution they might think and hold their breath or think about, you know, what um, what is going on in their air. Different communities have a different relationship to their air pollution problems. Places like Cache Valley that don't have many polluting industries are forced to point their fingers at themselves. Particle Falls shows us that we have a stake in it. When we're looking at it, we have to realize that it's us that's causing it. That's what I really like about presenting Particle Falls and is... And what made me feel like it was successful a couple of times in different cities, I've heard people say a couple of times, oh, that's our that's our waterfall. Check it out. (laughs) You know, just kind of taking ownership of, of their city and and the information that's being displayed there. I was really blown away by how much people know about the air quality and inversions around here. I have never experienced that uh, anything like that in other cities and other places that I've shown this piece. Um, I was riding on the shuttle from the airport here, and uh, you know it's an hour and a half drive, so we got chatting with the driver and the other people in the van, and. Um, so told them what we were doing, and they just started talking about so many details they knew about Pete, just a regular person knew about the inversions and what causes them and when they happen. And it, it, it's really amazing the, the awareness of uh, people out here. Andrea Poli, thanks for being here and for sharing your art with our community. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It's my pleasure. For Utah Public Radio, I'm Jennifer Pemberton in Logan. So Andrew Poli was here as a part of uh, Artsy STEM. By the way, Mark Likoven, is it art system or Artsy STEM? Uh, it's both. Um, this is actually really always a fun conversation. Uh, I, I do the two. Uh, it's actually it was intentionally to be a play upon artsy STEM or art system, uh, because in the art world sometimes it's it's kind of seen as a, when you say artsy, some people 
have this little twinge. Um, I don't. I think artsy and art are sort of synonymous for me, but I wanted to talk about how art can be utilized in the sciences as well as science be utilized as, as an aesthetic component. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it, it can be a system of art, it can be a system of science, and the two can be interchangeable. So I wanted to have that play, playfulness in the, in the title. Now, Particle Falls, this is a very interesting, interesting example of what we're talking about, right? This is a projection that's responding to what you're breathing. And so it, it makes what is invisible, it makes it visible. Exactly. And that's really one of the beauties of the piece. Uh, it's a, it uses a nephilometer to take real-time data that measures the particulates in the air. Um, and particulates isn't necessarily uh, the type of pollution that people really think about. Particulates are would be from uh, car engines, and there's also from wood, from fire burning, and, and things like that. So they're a little bit bigger than than some of the molecules that will cause some of the atmospheric conditions for the inversion. But nonetheless, they're in the air constantly, and so as they rise, these things cause health issues. And so making these uh, invisible, or and then turning around to making it visible, um, I think actually that's what science and art uh, sort of have in common. And mm. so that's the beauty of the piece. Now, when when she was here, Andrea Poli talked about uh, the fact she she likes to use art because it can get some people talking about students into STEM that wouldn't ordinarily be in STEM. And in fact, there's a movement called STEAM. You add add A to the STEM and, and the arts, right? Um, you know, probably uh, I always like to keep art separate from from STEM only because uh, I always have this joke. Um, all you have to do is add H for the humanities, and you can call it STEAM, <laughs> and um, then you lose sort of this uh, this discipline, this identity among the among the groups. And so STEM actually came about from an educational perspective for funding. And so for me, I, th- I think it's in, it's an easy connection to make, uh, but I, I I prefer to keep art separate from it, um, and it's sort of. Going back on what I think Mark Dion said, you know, you you sort of go back and forth. You you play upon the ability in art to sort of be flexible. And I think if I was a scientist, I would feel too relegated to certain scientific methodologies. Whereas, you know, a simple thing of when I do an art project that deals with human subjects, I don't have to go through IRB because it's an it's an art project. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does allow you to have a little bit more playfulness and and such. And so I I, I always like to keep that separate from it. Mm. I turn back to Mark Dion. Uh, you're quoted in. Uh, I'm. I've been looking at uh, PBS's Art 21 series, and you, you were featured on on that. We want to talk about a, a very interesting piece that you did up in Seattle. But you're quoted here saying the job of an, the artist is to go against the grain of dominant culture to challenge perception and convention. Sounds That's like a, the ideal job, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But <laughs> so, how, so specifically talking about this intersection of, of art and science, how would you expand on that then? Well, I, you know, doing, I, doing I, your job. Yeah, I, I think that uh, for me, the kind of art that I'm most interested in, the kind of art I produce, the kind of art I look at and get a lot from, is work that has a kind of critical relationship to dominant culture, and I, and I think that that's been one of the uh, one of the great contributions of art, at least. Um, you know, at least since the 19th century, is to challenge convention. And I think uh, that's that's the role that uh, where art can really be a stimulator in, in society. Um, you know, science, of course, has its own way of challenging convention. It has peer review. It has a very rigid practice. And, and it's very clear what is inside and outside of those borders. Um, art, the borders 
shift dramatically from artist to artist, from context to context. That's one of the things that gives it this kind of strength. Um, but for me, uh, it's what makes art interesting is that you have the possibility of having a dissonant voice, you know, a voice that is usually, you know, we're not trying to sell you anything, mm-hmm. you know, and audiences are allowed to come to a work of art and approach it differently. And that's quite okay. In fact, that's ideal, you know, that that uh, we don't have a prescribed precise result in the same way that uh, that you might have in uh, in the scientific disciplines right right uh, in in science of course you have the you know the the notion of, of so, that something is true right it, it relates to uh, being able to do the same things in the same way and getting the same results that doesn't work with art because there's a collaboration between the audience the work and the artist that is going to be radically different as different people approach a piece so these are things that I don't see as antagonistic to science. I see them as using other language and another language to get to a similar place. I think art and science are really wonderful, natural allies. I mean, if you just look at the fact that we have the same enemies, you see that we are great allies. Hmm. Mark Leekhoven, this this idea that uh, art and science are allies, similar in many ways. I wonder if you talk about, uh, start with methodologies. You and Nancy Huntley teach a, a course together, right? That's part of the art system project. We, we do. Um, we're teaching, uh, currently teaching a biodiversity class, uh, which is uh, essentially the integration of artists and artistic and scientific methods. And what we're looking at is not just the dissimilar, dissimilarities that most people will you know, harp on, um, but actually also the similarities. And so what we have is four art students working with a, a group of science students. So it's a half artist, half scientist. And they've teamed up um, to create both scientific investigations as well as, as art that is either an offshoot of this or actually a component of the investigation. And so when we talk about art and science, we don't talk about art versus science. We don't even talk about art and science. We actually talk about um, just how how certain aspects of, of an art method, such as, uh, you know, when I've given lectures in the past, sometimes I'll be asked, well, don't you care about your results? And typically the, the scientific community is shocked that I'm more interested in just doing the project and less concerned about whether I'm proving or disproving a my hypotheses or trying to uh, predict. Uh, the predictions are less Im- important to me, and just the doing is more important. And what Mark was, you know, talking about um, resonates with our students in the class, where they're interested in finding out, you know, how an artist would approach a project versus a scientist. And so, uh, as an example in the class, uh, just simple things like language um, become interesting. And so one of the things that uh, when, I would, I would, when I would say something like uh, we need didactics, um, didactics for a scientist and, and for an artist are obviously going to be different. And so you, it's, it's a learning curve, but it's a fun learning curve because you get to sort of explore a whole nother culture uh, and realize that that culture isn't necessarily other, that there's similarities in how there's just some simple things and how we go about solving problems. Um, you know, there's intuition in science and art. Uh, there's not this, you know, whole thing where it's linear. There's jumps and leaps and bounds. And I think really the only differences that we've come across in the class is in the art world, we're probably, uh, 
I guess, a little bit more flexible in our, our approach. We're allowed to be more f- flexible. We're allowed to shift things. Uh, we're allowed to take our artistic you know, license, so to speak. Whereas in the science world, it has to be, like Mark was saying, proved and done over and again and done over and again. Um, whereas in, in the art world, uh, we're allowed to sort of have different results each time, and that's actually usually a good thing. Hmm. We're taking a break soon, but I want to uh, to get into some of the, the you know, comparing and contrasting art and science. Uh, back to Mark Dion, uh, you've said artists have tools that science doesn't have. What what are some of those tools? You know, as an artist, I'm not obliged to tell you the truth. In fact, sometimes mm-hmm. not telling you the truth can be a really productive way of working. I also have access to things like irony, humor, um, metaphor, allegory. These are uh, this, these are vocabularies that science just can't use, and it's, it's just um, it, it would just really break uh, break the rigid boundaries that they exist in. Uh, that doesn't mean that scientists don't have these things; they all do. I've, I, in fact, I've never been to a laboratory anywhere in the world which didn't have a Far Side cartoon taped up somewhere <laughs> in some yes. corner. I mean, and and um, and scientists are, of course, very cultured and very humorous and very smart, but. In terms of the practice, it does have a, a particular set of rules. Our, um, an artist can r- follow the rigors of science and still have their work art, or an artist can work entirely in the realm of parafiction. That kind of freedom is, is, is what the artist can add to this. At the same time, I think that there are a lot of artists and a lot of scientists who have similar goals, you know, which is an attempt to describe the world we live in, to understand what that world is and what are ob- our obligations to it. Um, and those are those are things where we overlap and can support each other in very, very productive ways. It's hmm. very interesting, uh, another quote. This talks about the, I guess, philosophical framework, worldview. You said in this PBS piece that uh, science is to you and, and other artists as theology was to Renaissance artists. Yeah, I think for myself, uh, as a as a secular person, science really describes the world to me. Science does an excellent job of saying what this world is, but what it doesn't have time for is how we feel about that, how we think about that, how that frames our behavior um, to each other and to the rest of the world as well. And that's something where art really can contribute in a very exciting and interesting way. It would be hard to do that without science. So, I mean, for me, science is my cosmology. That's how I understand the world through um, science. It's the most likely explanation um, I can find for how, how we are where we are and, and who we are. So, uh, so I can't help but use that. I think all scientists and all artists embrace science in some way. And, uh, and what's great is that um, art and, art, artists are always looking um, outward toward new fields to uh, to find inspiration from, and in the same way that a Renaissance artist had to know the Bible, had to understand that particular um, theological worldview to be able to do what they do, we also have an obligation to have some degree of science, scientific literacy. We, you know, more than uh, I think other people, because we're cultural producers, we're communicators. I think you have said you're, you're in your art, you're more de- descriptive than prescriptive. Right? I don't I don't know if that's in other words, you're you're not advocating for any specific action. You're seeing the world as it is. Uh, perhaps not overtly advocating, but I, I certainly think that that my my work has a perspective. And and you know I'm I'm very 
engaged in issues of of um, of conservation of, of biodiversity, and so that's always a strong undercurrent of my work. At this, at the same time, um, I also want to be critical of the way that um, ideology has crept into science in the past, and that uh, that we always have to be kind of vigilant of uh, how um, how society uh, can undermine um, scientific ideals and and how it can shape uh, the scientific process. So, so I think that that's you know a careful examination and critical examination of the way society affects what is uh, supposed to be uh, uh, somehow beyond that, that beyond that kind of um, ideological pollution is, is something that that's really an, another r- great role for art who they engage science. Are you referring to uh, climate change with with this? I'm not specifically, but but, with, but certainly I, I think that that I think that that's the case. I mean, there have been uh, n- numerous instances in the history of of the history of science, and and I'm really engaged much more in the history of science than in, in contemporary practice in in a way. But there there have been very obvious uh, perversions of science through things like national socialism or through the kind of uh, 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 anti-communist ideologies or communist ideologies in the 50s and I think we always have to be kind of vigilant of, of how the social realm can uh, can affect and pervert science mm-hmm. but climate change is a really great example yeah. of that today interesting let's take a break when we come back more on art system or artsy stem interesting projects that's going on at Utah State University uh, Mark Lee Coven you're connecting in with the uh, 2015 USU year of water as well with this I believe um, so we'll, we'll uh, have more explanation on uh, what uh, artsy STEM is uh, and uh, give you a few more particulars. I do want to uh, plug the, the lecture, which I believe is tonight. Yes, with tonight, the, 6 o'clock. Uh, Mark Diane will be uh, lecturing in the Kane Performance Hall, and that will be immediately followed by uh, an opening of three exhibitions, um, actually four, two in the uh, museum and then two in the Tippetts Gallery. And uh, then, of course, uh, tomorrow night, uh, 7 o'clock, it's uh, Science Unwrapped, and Mark Lee Coven will be giving the uh, lecture there, Salty Metaphors, the Land Art of the Great Salt Lake, and uh, that is in the Eccles Science Learning Center, the Emmert Auditorium there, 7 o'clock tomorrow night, uh, free admission to that. And our Jennifer Pemberton will be there collecting your Spiral Jetty stories. Here's more on that. Utah's famous work of land art, the Spiral Jetty, was completed in 1970. A few short years later, the artwork was inundated with the rising waters of the Great Salt Lake and stayed mostly submerged for 30 years. This year, the historically low level of the lake is providing a great opportunity to see the Spiral Jetty. This is Jennifer Pemberton. I went to the Spiral Jetty for the first time this year, but I want to know what your visit was like. I'm collecting your Spiral Jetty stories for the March 27th episode of The Source. Go to upr.org to submit your story or come talk to me in person. I'll be at the Spiral Jetty Story Booth after the next Science Unwrapped presentation. That's Friday, March 20th at Utah State University. Details about that event are also at upr.org. Thanks for sharing your story. 
and programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the USU Nora Eccles Harrison Museum of Art. Opening reception for Artsy STEM, the changing climates of the arts and sciences. And the Dorothy and Herbert Vogel Collection, 50 works for 50 states, including public lecture by artist Mark Dion, Thursday, March 19th at 6 p.m. Details at artmuseum.usu.edu. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. I'm joined by Mark Leekoven. He is Assistant Professor of Art at Utah State University. He is co-directing a very interesting ongoing project. It's called Art System or Artsy STEM, capital A-R-T, lowercase S-Y, and then capital S-T-E-M. Art, of course, is self-explanatory. STEM, I think you know, that refers to science, technology, engineering, and math. And then the SY joining those two, so it's artsy STEM or art system. It's integration of art and science. And uh, so we've heard about this interesting uh, uh, installation, Particle Falls, where you can see projected the air quality on on the side of the building. Uh, Mark Likoven, that'll be up again tonight? Yeah, that uh, will be up tonight and tomorrow night. Uh, and then again in, on April 16th and 17th for the symposium. Uh, Art and Science Symposium, and it begins, I believe, at 7.30, just shortly after sunset, and we'll go until 10 o'clock, both tonight and Friday night. So it's very interesting. You see the blues. It's kind of a river uh, running down the, you know, projected. Uh, but if if there's particulate matter in the air, it turns red, redder. What happens is uh, when the nephilometer, which is a, a basically a particulate or pollution measuring device, when it picks up pollution or particulates, it uh, sends signals to the um, computer system, and it changes the really beautiful waterfall on the side of the Kane Performance Hall. It starts, if it's low volume, it just you'll see like orangish and yellowish sparkles, so to speak. But then um, if it picks up, the whole waterfall looks like it's, a, it's on fire. Mm. Now, your concern is, or your, your hope is to to really integrate art and science, right? Not, You said that often it's been art tacked on the end of a scientific project. Right. Typically, um, my personal experience is a scientist will come to me and say, hey, I've got this really interesting data. Um, can you create a website or can you do a poster or you know, can you create some sort of educational component around that? And um, it, it, although that does still interest me uh, as an artist, I mean, I, I sort of uh, love that communicative uh, aspect to art, the ability to reach out through all the senses, uh, through haptic, through, you know, whatever, or, or through senses of smell, taste. Um, I found that it seemed like uh, I could be put to better use in some ways. And so what I started to think about, and this is, again, going back over a decade and a half, um, how could the components, or what I saw, the the beauty of art, uh, being able to touch, um, smell, see, and then have that as experiential takeaway, so the aesthetics, uh, the experience becomes the aesthetic component, how could that be integrated into science and science investigation? And so uh, we, I started working with social scientists at the time, then it merged into working with uh, scientists in the biology and microbiology fields, working with bacteria. And we started to look at how art installations and art objects 
could not just be an aesthetically pleasing object to look at, but also a way to engage with the audience uh, above and beyond, not just in trying to have them experience something, but then also be a collective device where we could take that information and utilize it to either create a new project and sort of fine tune our method. And so that's that's where the inspiration came from. I, I essentially was just looking to be involved in, in, in the beginning of the projects rather than, I always felt like I was added rather than in, integrated. Mm-hmm. Tell me about, you were telling me at the break, um, a project which collects information from the public through 3D printed objects. Sounds fascinating. Um, yeah, so one of the projects that is in current production right now, um, I, I, if you've heard of them, they're called the Union of Concerned Scientists. And uh, they fund certain um, outreach programs. And one of the things that they've been interested in in the recent years is energy and its connection to water. And so I was contacted a, a while back about uh, trying to figure out how we could not just communicate, but also collect information on uh, of what's going on with the water usage and connection to our, our energy supplies. And so it spurned a whole series of uh, ideas about utilizing uh, various installations, not just in what we call white spaces or galleries or museums, but, but also even in storefronts or uh, malls or whatever it might be that could become installation art that have uh, various components, everything from sight and sound to also 3D printed objects that a person will come in and rather than just uh, sort of uh, look at, they actually have to pick up and engage in order to have the full experience. And so rather than uh, have the data collected through a phone call, what the scientists were interested in is trying to figure out where our perceptions and beliefs come from, can they be altered, can they be shifted in relation to climate change, water, and energy. And so what I've been working on is creating environments that you'll walk in and if the room temperature changes while you're in there uh, within a five or 10 minute period, does that change your perception of climate change? If you pick up an object that is a physical rendition of data of what's going on with um, water and energy that then also responds by maybe uh, you smell rain or you feel humidity change in the room based upon you picking this up. You know, what, what's the response? What's the perception of the viewer? And have you changed their short-term or long-term belief in climate change? How can you change their, their perception in, in the information rather than just showing them charts on a wall? Mm. We are, uh, if you just joined us, we're joined by Mark Lee Coven, who's assistant professor of art at uh, Utah State University, co-director of the Art System Project. And we're also joined by Mark Dion, visiting artist, who is uh, appearing here at Utah State University as a part of this project. Uh, Mark Lee Coven, tell me again, the uh, the lectures tonight at 6? Correct. 6 o'clock tonight in the Kane Performance Hall, followed at 7 o'clock by uh, four exhibitions, two in the... Uh, museum in the Nora Eccles Harrison Museum of Art, and then two in the Tippetts Gallery. And probably the best place to go to get all of the events in uh, the Art System Project is the Facebook page. So just go to Facebook. and Right. And um, for tonight's events, uh, the Nora Eccles Harrison Museum of Art site is also the good one. That They have the full uh, spectrum as well. And the Kane College also has, has that as well. Okay. I'll turn back to uh, Mark Don uh, on this PBS series that I've been uh, referring to they feature a fascinating project 
that you did. I wonder if you could describe this. This is in the Seattle area. You found a giant hemlock tree, which had fallen. So what do you do next? Okay, let, let me give, it, give you a little background first. This is in the Olympic Sculpture Park, which was this area, vacant lot, which had been a petroleum transfer station. It was incredibly polluted. The Seattle Art Museum bought this space and decided to make an urban sculpture park. So not something you have to drive out uh, of the city for, but a sculpture park right in the middle of the city. And so they invited me to be one of the new commissions. That meant going out there and trying to find the thread. You know, I'm trying to find the thing about this place that is so interesting and exciting. And one of the things that, that anyone who cares about nature and is interested in nature and grew up spending time in forests, uh, one of the most amazing things out there are the forests around Seattle. You know, forests which are primary, which have never been cut, which are temperate rainforests with all the parts still intact. This is totally fascinating. So uh, while I was there, I learned about this thing called a nurse log. You know, these are rainforests, so they get 100 inches of rain a year. All the nutrients would normally be washed out to sea, but the nutrients are bound in that forest by the vegetation. And when one of these giant trees falls at the end of its life, those nutrients are released back into the environment. All that energy, that sugar is released back. And the next generation of forest is quick to take advantage of that and grow on top of that tree. That tree becomes the foundation for the next generation of forest. So these are called nurse logs. And I was utterly fascinated with this idea. So I wanted to bring a nurse log out of that forest and back into the middle of the city uh, where we would have found it easily, you know, 120 years ago. So that was the process, How, finding a giant tree and finding a structure that would really allow it to continue this process that would be a, would turn it into a kind of a iconic nurse log. Uh, and so it's, it's in this building, with, you know, it's a structure, climate controls, as you say, and, and, uh, and, uh, the, including the moisture and everything. Uh, it is fascinating. And so uh, how does this compare then to the other installations that are in the in the park? Uh, well, I, I think that, you know, really, if you look at the sculptures in the park, you really see a progression of ways artists are thinking about nature. And uh, there are several earth artists in the in the uh, represented in the park. There's artists like Louise Bourgeois and and, and uh, Richard Serra. But I think that the idea that this piece in some way highlights nature as a process rather than a thing, rather than something to depict uh, in a traditional static way, what this really does is frame this process of the tree breaking down, releasing its energy, and the next generation of forest growing on top of that. So, you know, it took us a long time to find the right tree. Hmm. It's a 160-year-old hemlock tree. We couldn't take it from the national forest because the, the paperwork to do that would, would stretch from Seattle to Washington, <laughs> D.C. and back. We couldn't take it from uh, any of the, uh, the, um, uh, the corporations that are cutting the primary forests in Seattle, which have links to the museum, um, because we didn't want this to be a, a greenwashing project. And finally, we found that in the watershed, um, they are, there are large protected you know, hundreds and hundreds of acres. Uh, there was a tree that we knew exactly the night it fell. It fell by a roadside, which means we didn't have to build a road or, or create any damage to get it. And so that was became the perfect tree. You know, we had target species. We couldn't take something like a cedar, which wouldn't actually demonstrate a nurse log. Mm. Uh, and when people think tree there, they think big. So we had to find something like that. 
we moved the tree on the site and we built a purpose-built greenhouse structure. And everything about this building is there to um, to reenact the conditions the tree um, uh, the tree was in. So mm -hmm. the the humidity, even the light, the the greenhouse has a green tinge because we worked with lighting engineers to see what's the spectrum of light under the canopy. Um, the the it recycles all the water off the roof because city water has too much chlorine in it for the uh, some of the more fragile um, molds and 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 fungi that are on the tree and even some of the ferns. So we really had to think this through and all of those. All that apparatus, all the structure that allows the tree to do what it what it normally would do, is very flagrant. It's really in your face. So this is interesting. So so the the, the organisms that the tree is nursing are continue to live, right? Absolutely. It's just in this different environment. Let me read a comment that's on the PBS page. Is sure, part, of, part of this, which is kind of uh, you know pushing back against your project. But what's interesting to me is this gets at what art is. And, and so this person uh, responding to your project says, but the tree was viably sustained in its original location. I realize uh, that Down considers his art to be a source of questions, while unapologetically not providing answers for any of them. However, in doing so, he's only contributing to the problems that he acknowledges as problems. And in a way, it's worse uh, than others in doing the same because he uh, uh, gives the artist statement indicating that he doesn't, uh, he's not trying to, to fix this. In other words, um, you know, to to make this into art, you've moved it, and and this person objects to that. Others then respond. It's a whole thread to saying, well, well, it's it's art. <laughs> That's what Diana's is going for. I wonder what your reaction to that to that is. Well, I think that response is really important. You know that 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 response and the thread is exactly what art is about. We can't really have a conversation if we don't do anything. Um, it's true this tree would have uh, continued to degrade had we left it by the side of the road. And, uh, but we wouldn't have that as a, as a point of discussion. We wouldn't have that as part of, we wouldn't have, it wouldn't have produced discourse in that way. So the whole point of this project and, and many art projects is to create a, um, a public place for, for discussion, a public discourse. and. A lot of times that may mean that the artwork becomes a kind of magnet for animosity. Um, but you know, making art isn't about making everyone happy. It's about creating, it's, it's, a, it's about going against the grain. It's about creating a kind of irritant to have a discussion, to challenge people's um, values and conventions. That's, I think that's what the social role of art is. Mm. The, the other point here is, uh, that interests me, um, is kind of where art and science diverge. Um, a scientific project would, would maybe, I don't know, they'd be taking data from this and, and all, all of the, the organisms that the, the tree is hosting. You have a different purpose. Yeah, and, and certainly science had a very strong point in the production of the piece in, in that our building is programmed with data that was, is, is kept by the foresters um, and uh, and the and the Seattle watersheds are incredibly well monitored as forests. We know what the te what the average temperature is there year round. We know what the humidity is. We know what the rainfall, and and the building kind of recapitulates that. You know, the building is programmed to reproduce those conditions. At the same time, we don't have a snowpack. Mm -hmm. We don't have woodpeckers and chipmunks and other animals that add mm -hmm. to that. Even if we have an, an insect load, this is really. A garden, right? And like all gardens, 
it is philosophy made concrete. It's really about uh, it's really about embodying a set of ideas, and those ideas are all around this. I think quite positive metaphor of of death and rebirth, mm-hmm. which is is um, is very much the story of the nurse log, and and that's a story that is challenging um, to at least the industry of forestry because a tree farm doesn't have this. When you clear cut a forest and replant it, you don't have nurse logs. You have a very different system. So those new forests that are being made, and there, and there was just so much dramatic clear-cutting in, in, uh, uh, in Washington State in the past decades, those are not forests. There, there's a lot of artificiality. Yep, right. absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so this, in a way, this is a way of talking about um, how important process is and how important um, uh, a, a full um, ecological system is and that there is a big difference between tree farm and forest. Yeah. By the way, you can go and uh, and see this. Uh, Mark Dion is featured on this uh, this series. It's called Art Twenty One at uh, the PBS. Turn back to uh, Mark uh, Leekoven. I wonder what your general reaction to the this the Seattle piece is before we go on. Well, I I pretty much agree with everything with Mark um, was saying, and what one of the interesting things with uh, with Andrea Poli's piece, and even some of the work that I've done. With Andrea's piece, one of the questions that I was often asked um, is in order to power the, the Particle Falls piece, it's a very powerful projector, and we needed to uh, have a generator. So there's a generator there next to the piece that's talking about uh, essentially pollution. And people were like, well, how, how could you do that? And I s- said to them, well, this makes it visible. Um, it makes it out in the open. It, it makes us, it brings to the surface what we typically take for granted. If I was to plug this into a wall socket, it would still be using electricity that was being produced somewhere that was pumping out some sort of particulates elsewhere. And so at least in the art piece, you now have a, a visible way of seeing how the piece is produced and also bringing to the surface that question of like, where does our electricity come from? And so, you know, the, the fact that art can make the vis- invisible visible uh, is again that, that parallel to what the sciences uh, intentionally do. The difference I think is, is that the intended results of an art piece are probably less concerned by the artist rather than a scientist. And so that's probably where they, they might diverge a little bit. Uh, and so when, when, if there's, pushback or commentary on Mark, a piece like Marx or a piece like Andrea's or any other artist who's working that way, uh, when it's about making it visible instead of us going through our normal daily life and not thinking about it, that's, that questioning is what it's about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the conversation. That's, that's part of what you're going for. Yeah. And right. if I can just add that, you know, I mean, I think that we're talking a little bit about vocabularies that can be used by art that maybe cannot be used by other fields like science. And part of those, one of those things is the ability to have a sustained contradiction within the work, right? And to express things that are very hard to express, like, um, like feelings like ambivalence, for instance. Art is really masterful at using something like that um, uh, uh, as, a, as, a, as a real material, as a real, as a way. And I think ambivalence is, a, is a, something that people feel very strongly in everyday life. It's hard to talk about that in, say, journalism or in a whole other, um, and in the sciences and, and in a whole other field of, of humanities and science. So this is one of the ways that um, I think art does add to a general discourse 
social discursive vocabulary. Mark Leekhoven, we're approaching the end of the, the program. I wonder, what's your, what's your hope with a, with a project like Artsy STEM? Uh, you know, I think uh, both Nancy and I are looking to uh, see what comes of it. We, we don't know what come, will come of it. So we're really looking to just sort of slam these two things together and, and see what does happen. But I think my goals are to just get the conversation going and keep it going. And if uh, the program has, you know, one artist and one non-artist uh, start a collaborative effort that has some sort of impact regionally or globally that brings something to the surface, whether it's climate change, whether it's water, whether it's energy, or whether it's just a, a social issue, I, I think for me, that would be a successful program. And so ultimately, it's about creating a sense of community. It's about creating those intersections, uh, bringing people who typically don't intermix and allowing them to have that conversation, whether it comes to a group effort or re remains individualistic or siloed, um, you know, I, I think that's ex the exciting part. It's just making it happen, allowing it for, for it to happen. I'm picturing the Large Hadron Collider. Uh, you're, you're slamming STEM and art together, and, and it, we'll, we'll see what happens. Right? So something spectacular might. Uh, yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll find the God particle. Um, so so uh, tell me briefly uh, here at the end, what, uh, what are you going to be talking about? Salty metaphors, land uh, art of the Great Salt Lake. You're, you're appearing at Science Unwrapped. That's tomorrow night. What, what's, the, what's, what's your talk in brief here? Uh, so I'm going to be talking in actually a little bit about what we've touched upon before, uh, here tonight, um, the various similarities and differences between the arts, my own art practice. I'll be showing a lot of my uh, personal work as well as research that I've done collaboratively. Um, I'll also be um, talking about historically this, the Great Salt Lake and the Spiral Jetty by Robert Smithson and how it's influenced me personally as an artist um, in, in terms of my sensitivity to to the land and to the environment and to creating installations and, and artwork in my own life, and so I'll be touching upon some of everything from you know micro, microbiology that I incorporate into my work. I've worked with you know uh, a piece oral ecology where I've studied the what's inside people's mouths through a piece called spit culture. I'll be talking about. Uh, you know, diatoms, I'll be talking about um, salt itself, but specifically, you know, art as a metaphor, but also as a scientific tool. And uh, Mark Dion will be uh, uh, giving a lecture tonight, six o'clock, uh, so people can come to that. What, what's your latest project, Mark Dion? Oh, my latest project is called the Wonder Workshop. And I'm working uh, with a team of very talented sculptures. Sculptors, we're working in Venice, um, and we'll be looking at uh, 16th and 17th century etchings of Wunderkammer, of these pre-Enlightenment collections and museums. And my uh, my team will be finding the illustrations, finding objects in those illustrations, and we'll be remaking them into sculptures again. So you have to imagine once there was a shell somewhere on a beach, a Dutch sailor collected that, brought it to Amsterdam, sold it to a dealer who sold it to a collector who put it in his um, wonder camera, his cosmological cabinet, and that kind of ended this chain. So we're picking that chain up again and turning those pictures back into things. Interesting. Yeah. Where best for people to go to find out about your, your works? Um, I guess the best site would be uh, Tanya Bonakdar Gallery. It's my gallery in New York, and they have a pretty 
great sampling of the things I've done. Oh, and, yeah. and as you mentioned, Art 21, uh, the, the film that they made on, on my work, uh, is a great resource, but also it's, it's Art 21 is great about contemporary art in general. Yeah, find that at pbs.org. Uh, and uh, Mark Leekhoven, a good place to find out about uh, Art System, which is an ongoing project, is the Facebook page. Facebook page and also uh, Nora Uckles Harrison Museum of Art. There's uh, been several intersections with the museum. The museum has been uh, wonderful uh, in allowing us to pull from their collection for the, the exhibition art system, the changing climates of, of the arts and sciences. Uh, that opens tonight. Uh, so, uh, and Mark has two of his pieces in there. And uh, that, uh, that's one site. Then the King College also has a calendar of events. But, yes, the Facebook page would be the first place to get to. Very interesting uh, projects. Uh, and in addition to the lecture tonight, uh, 6 o'clock, where is that happening? That's at the King Performance Hall, which is right next to the Fine Arts Facilities. Um, that will be there's there's a, a six o'clock lecture, then there will be a seven o'clock uh, opening public reception for the four exhibitions at the Nora Eccles Harrison Museum of Art as well as the Tippett's Gallery, and then Science Unwrapped is tomorrow night, Friday night, seven o'clock in the Eccles Science Learning Center, Emmert Auditorium. Mark Lee Coven is the presenter, and our Jennifer Pemberton be there to collect uh, your uh, spiral jetty experiences. So we hope you'll uh, attend that as well. Uh, Mark Lee Coven, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Mark Dion, thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, thanks for listening to Access Utah.